and welcome to Eat in Virginia, your number one podcast source for food news and interviews with the people who make Richmond restaurants great. Follow us on social media at Eat It Virginia and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. My name is Scott Wise and I am joined as always by my friend, my friend Roby Martin. Today we are in one of Richmond's newest Mexican restaurants. So what was this building before it is what it is now, Scott? Uh, it was a school, right? Wasn't was it, it a school? It was not, the West Hampton School. Not this building. Right next to oh. us that we're seeing there, that was the school. Okay. So this so was w- a nothing. Was this a nothing building? This is a new building. I don't know what was here before. That was pre-my uh, time. Do you know? I, I think no it's called idea. Nature. <laughs> I think Nature was here before. Is that a thing? <laughs> it used to be. Oh. Ask awesome. your parents about it. I will. You know what? They may be, oh, sorry. They maybe know. Um, I'm with Danny Mena and Lauren Spain of the new Conejo. Did I pronounce that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, you did. All right. And you are the executive chef. Correct. And you run the bar here. The cocktail program and the social media. Perfect. I love that. So what is Conejo? And say it so like people can actually hear what it's supposed to sound like. Conejo. Perfect. What so, does it mean? So conejo means uh, rabbit. Um, so basic translation. But uh, so it was inspired by a few things. Um, kind of when I started on this project, they were talking to me about uh, corn, and so mm-hmm. we were all of, all of the whole point of this restaurant is really the base of corn, and really Mexico, like the saying is, "Sin maíz no hay país." So without corn, there's no country. And so as we, it's always been an important staple in Mexico. It's actually tortillas are subsidized in Mexico, so it's part of like basic goods that you need as a to like sustenance. And so when these guys, uh, the owners, were kind of talking to me about the project, you know, we were, corn was front and center. Um, and so as we were looking for a name, there's an endemic strain of corn called Conejo. Um, and so it was kind of a nice name. And there's a lot of, like, folklore around rabbits in Mexico. Um, so there's, like, the rabbit in the moon, which is, like, an old, uh, like, you know, I guess myth. And then uh, there's also the story of the 400 drunken rabbits. Which is, okay, now I need that story. Now you need that story. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I don't know it that well, then as soon as I'm going to say it, I'm going to probably go off uh, and make some stuff up. But basically, it's about um, the a deity, a god that was the uh, the god of, of uh, I think it was the god of Agave, Mayawel. And, uh, and I don't actually, now that I think about it, I, somehow or another, they were left with 400 drunken rabbits. Agave, uh, spirits, drunk they, rabbits. They, they sure. got drunk on like pulque. So pulque is uh, a base and so pre-Hispanic, well, maybe not pre-Hispanic, but definitely pre-modern times, pre-beer, pre-any alcohol, everything that was consumed of alcoholic in Mexico was pulque, which is definitely pre-Hispanic, and what we consider mezcal, which is tequila or any agave distillate, and that was all that was consumed in Mexico. So the base of alcohol really came from the agave plant. And so this is from, and so the foreign and drunken rabbits was what they say mezcal, but really was pulque. They kind of struck an agave plant. And that's kind of like Maya Well, how they kind of started, you know, the story of, of tequila and mezcal was kind of this lightning bolt and, uh, and it cooked the agave and therefore kind of started the first process of, of mezcal. He should know all this. He own, you own a mezcal company, I correct? Do, I do. I know how to drink it really well. Uh, <laughs> pro on that. I know the story of Maya Well, the 400 drunken rabbits. And so there's a brand of mezcal called 400 Conejos, 400 Rabbits. Nice. And it's based off this kind of folklore, so probably should have studied up before this. No, you shouldn't. Podcast. I feel like you, that, that was perfect. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm for all things tequila, agave, mezcal. So I like rabbits, rabbits, drunkenness. I actually really do like rabbit. Do you plan on serving rabbit? We, we do. Wait, oh, I should probably read a menu. You do serve rabbit. <laughs> we do serve rabbit. So it was, it was funny, like, cause so rabbit is consumed in Mexico. It's also, you know, uh, one of the native animals that were, was in Mexico and is, is consumed through different uh, regions. 
And so we were thinking about putting it on the menu. And so we did a lot of tests and the owners were a little apprehensive about how the reception of... Uh, People eating bunny. Exactly. And then we were in Oaxaca. We were in Casa Mezcal and we had a really good rabbit there. And uh, yeah, it was in Casa, Mezcal, uh, Casa, Casa Oaxaca. And so... Uh, so anyway, we were kind of convinced that we're going to do it. And we we're like, we can't have the name Conejo without serving rabbit. But then they're like, well, but then you can't eat your like mascot. So, <laughs> you know, as long as you don't give it a name. And so anyway, we finally found a Words way to, to live by. In. You cannot eat your mascot. Well, he went to Virginia Tech, so he knows that we eat our mascot and big turkey legs when, <laughs> yeah, we, when we're watching football. So we, I mean, we eat our mascot. <laughs> That's why the, the hokey, I don't know how that became a turkey. But <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> But so you're going to reverse this now, aren't you? So we covered corn and yep. we covered rabbit. Let's, let's talk about the drunkenness and we'll bring Lauren in for that part okay, of the conversation. <laughs> what is your background that, that you're bringing to this restaurant? Um, well, I have worked with the company, um, Big Kitchen Hospitality, for almost nine years. Uh, started as a bartender, um, turned bar manager, um, trainer, um, at the restaurant known as Taza Kitchen. Taza Kitchen. Um, and <laughs> so, if you've been at the bar at Taza, you probably know Lauren's face. You, yeah, or you know my menus. I, I draw the illustrated menus. Do you um, draw the illustrations too? I do. Yes. Oh, I freaking love those. Yeah. <laughs> They're so cool. They're fun. Yeah, you know, you kind of get a visual, and people love that. Um, so i I've been doing the cocktail program there for probably seven years now. And how was it working with Danny bringing the menu to life here? Don't be honest. Feel free to. Um, actually, it was great. You know, I, I really enjoy working with um, chefs when it comes to tying in the food menu and cocktail menu. They kind of have to go hand in hand. And, you know, Danny is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to um, agave spirits and the restaurant industry and obviously Mexican culture and work. I've never worked in a Mexican restaurant. So, you know, he knew that we had to have an amazing margarita that's our number one seller that's gonna be our number one seller when i'm like no maybe i can make this one drink that's gonna you know knock that off danny knew and you know <laughs> you, I, you had I high really hopes did. for the maramara didn't you I had really really <laughs> high hopes for our passion fruit martini uh mara mara um <laughs> But, you know, I can, I know that I can trust Danny's palate. Um, you know, I can bring him something and he says, ah, that might be a little too sweet. Or, you know, I don't know. What if you try it this way? You know, we can, we bounce off of each other. Um, you know, it, it works. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun at the beginning because like, I remember like, the one that she made, the, that's really one of our better sellers, the, uh, the kind of spicy poblano cucumber margarita. Sure. And we were like tasting it. And I was like, you know what? Like I love like vegetable drinks. And so I was like, you know, the ingredients that we use a lot. So we have like a lot of tomatillos. We have a lot of cucumbers, poblanos and chilies and stuff like that. So we're playing with them. And, and that poblano one was really nice. It kind of came together. with like. So. I, I love a vegetable drink too. I've actually had that cucumber, pepper, margarita type thing. And it was, it's, it's fantastic. I've been here twice to eat. Oh, yes, okay. without you. <laughs> See, I always find out after the fact. Yeah. She's yeah. always like, let's come here and work, but I'm going to come here and eat on my own time. I haven't been here for you. lunch two times. And I'm going to put it, you on the spot. It's freaking what was your busy favorite bite? in here. To, first, I'll tell okay. you that. And then second, I'm really interested in your tortillas. I know that you said that's a staple in Mexico, but I think that it's a really 
the way you got to them is very locally centric, in my opinion, with Sabrosa and the Common Grain Alliance and all of that. And they're delicious, by the way. So tell me that circuitous route. So, yeah, I mean, so it started off with this corn, this idea. And so we were looking. And so there's this um, guy in Mexico that I befriended and actually a friend of my partner of mine from the Mezcal Company. His wife knew him very well. And then through someone else kind of, you know, serendipitous, we kind of met. And, uh, and he works with all these like local farmers in Mexico. Um, so he has all these different types of corns, all these different strains, which we're about to get our Conejo strain in in our next order because it just was, unfortunately, there was like 1,500 kilos available. And he said only about 400 of them actually were good enough for, uh, you know, past QC. But they were going to start working with this farmer. So little by little, we'll be getting that strain more and more. Um, so we play with different strains. So we get it from all different states of Mexico. And so we, we have a nice grinder, which we're about to grind some corn. Uh, so if you want some audio later, sure. we get the sound of a grinder. Producing corn. the show, too. I, I know, like I love this. it. Full service interview. <laughs> and so anyway, so we're grinding the corn. And like we, all, the, all our corn is like from the, from the process of buying it, nixtamalization, like we do everything in-house. Um, and in the northern and for part people that don't know what nixtamalization is, will you go ahead and explain? Explain that process. It's kind of like 400 drunken rabbits. You kind of, no. Um, so, so nixtamalization. Actually, yes, it kind of is. No. The new answer for everything. Yeah. The uh, nixtamalization is actually um, a process that was, um, I guess, discovered and invented way pre-Hispanic. And basically, it's the process of cooking corn with lime. Lime not being uh, lemon lime, but like calcium chloride. And so with this, it actually breaks down the outer skin of the corn. So you get a complete like amino acid. So if you were to eat the rest of your life corn and beans, you would have a vitamin deficiency. But if you were to eat corn and uh, like tortillas and beans, you would maybe not be a fully fulfilled life, but you would be healthy. I'd um, be pretty fulfilled, I think. That's, I mean, it's pretty totally what I eat now. So <laughs> I was eating one the other day. I was like, guys, this is like perfect. So, you know what I mean? But it is. And so it's this process that basically breaks down the outer skin so you can get the full protein. Um, so we have calcium chloride. It gets cooked, brought up to, you know, depending on the corn, it can be 190 degrees. But it's very specific. And how much corn is like 0.09%. So only a few people right now in the kitchen really do it. Um, me being one of the main ones doing it. We had a good guy that would just left, but he was, I taught him, so we're teaching everybody, and the goal is for everyone to learn and know about that. Um, so anyway, that's the process of, of corn, and so that's the key thing. So from the difference between like grits and like polenta is just ground up corn to this, which you need a really like, you know, high powered machine to really grind it well and get a really fine grind, and that's going to give you a really nice light puffy tortilla, which is the staple to Mexico. Um, long story all the way around, Mexico, southern part, very important is the corn. Northern part is the flour tortilla. And so um, when we were talking about it, like, you know, we're like, well, if we're putting all this much effort into the corn, kind of should do the same thing into a flour tortilla. And and they really can be very good, even though in Mexico City and the southern part of Mexico, we kind of take it for granted. And we just buy, you know, mediocre, run-of-the-mill, you know, tortillas in a bag, and that's what flour tortillas are. But in the north, they really care about them, and there's different sizes, and they call one that are like the the sobaqueras, which are the, uh, the armpit tortillas, which are gigantic tortillas that the ladies hold under their, uh, under their armpits so while they're making stuff and then they pull it out. <laughs> you're making a face, but it's, that's what it is. I mean, there it is. <laughs> All right. Good to know. And so, um, and then, you know, by pure luck, we have, um, you know, Evan from Sub Rosa and he's milling all of his corn at this little area that he rents out there in the big kitchen, Scott's Edition. And so, uh, and so all of a sudden, you know, he's a wealth of knowledge, too, and just, like, super into anything, anything, really, but obviously he knows a ton about flowers. I love so. that he, you just pegged Evan perfectly. He's super into, well, anything, really. <laughs> then he'll keep talking. And so, so he's like, and so then he started telling me about the, the Sonoran wheat, which is an endemic strain from Mexico. 
And so, uh, so that was really cool. And so then he's like, you know what? I, I'm gonna. He's like, I'm gonna have my mother-in-law bring back, bring you like 20 pounds of it when she comes from Portland, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, we have to. We can either ship it or we'll figure it out or whatever. But he's like, no, no, we'll tell her. And then she, she, he forgot to ask her, and I'm glad he did. Um, but anyway, it turns out to be a farmer that he works with in Pennsylvania grows this wheat. Um, and it's interesting because this wheat likes the Sonora as a desert and likes really dry area. And Pennsylvania is very wet. But for whatever reason, right where this farmer is, there's this microclimate that works really well for it. And so, um, so he talked to the farmer. He got us a batch. We started making flour tortillas. We started milling it for us. And he has different, like, he strains all of his out. So, you know, I started learning about, like, whole wheat flour and all of that. And so he has, like, all of his bread, if you've had it, is very whole wheat-ish looking. But it really isn't whole wheat. It's just like, you know, it's not, it's like well sifted. So there's a lot of the outside bark without the entire wheat. Um, but anyway, so with the flour tortillas, we started playing with like different sifting and like, so the really, really white pale, you know, what you buy in the store to kind of what he had. And there was just so much depth of flavor and it was like a little more chewy, a little more bite and it was, it was such a beautiful tortilla that we're like, okay, this is perfect. And of course, we started first with pork fat because that's oh, that's yeah. going to be our standard. We knew we couldn't serve it in the restaurant just because there's too many vegetarians and I don't want to make two different types and, and there's other good substitutes. So we ended up finding coconut oil being the best kind of substitute um, for that. But anyway, he found a farmer in Pennsylvania that had some. A friend of his that has a bakery in D.C., um, gave us a bag. Frank, our manager, was up there for like a football game and brought back, you know, like 40 <laughs> pounds of wheat. So we're like, okay, we love it. This is super exciting. And then he's like, okay, this guy kind of bought it all. We can only give you like five or six bags. Oh. And then uh, we're like, okay. And then the guy found out what we were doing and he's like, you know what? No, I want you to have the whole batch. Of, oh, cool. So, so there's enough, I think, for us to get through until the next harvest. Um, and then we'll have again. And so he's planting now more for us. So we'll have. No, you're good. I was just gonna say when we sat down. Said, Sorry, because you're we, make, don't when, make him stop. I'm so when we when we sat down, you were sipping coffee and you said it was decaf because you didn't need caffeinated. <laughs> and you're right, you don't need caffeinated. Lauren said that all we need is Dana here, and we can just like sit back it's and true. it's fine. I mean, he's just he can keep going, and you're just so but intrigued. I love it. You just like. Wow, it's a lot. I love the thought that, so a lot of times you don't see all the thought that gets put into the interior, not the physical interior, but the actual interior of a restaurant. And I think that this type of thing, you know, I'm just over here sucking down tortillas because they're exceptional. But this, these tiny details are really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. I absolutely think it's fantastic. I imagine that it does translate to your cocktails. Like what are you using? I mean, I know it's agave spirits and I know, but what else are you using to make them? And is there as much pinpointed direction? Thoughtfulness? Yes. I don't think so. Lies. That's lies. (laughs) I mean, uh, going into you know, the R&D with all of this, I would visit, you know, little markets and kind of peruse the, the ingredient section. What can, what can I make, you know, what makes sense? And, um, we have a lot of, um, we use hibiscus, uh, in our food and we use it behind the bar making this, uh, hibiscus syrup, which adds a lot of, um, it's so beautiful and vibrant and, um, that was one thing that I really wanted our cocktails to be really like, obviously I want them to taste, you know, delicious, but I want them to be vibrant. I want them to be colorful. I want them, um, 
I want someone to to see one walking by and say, I want that cocktail because that's how they sell. Sure. It's um, always what is eyeballs. I want that. Um, you know, fresh ingredients. Uh, you cannot begin to understand or, I mean, the amount of lime juice what is it they say like through? one day and then lime juice like doesn't keep its flavor like it was is that what it is it's like a 24 like a hours like 24 it starts hours to so. oxidize mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. very quick we couldn't even have enough lime juice in one day to last i mean it's yeah. insane yeah. how many limes do you think you go through danny you probably Wait, know an hour <laughs> I'll take an hour, sure. How about an hour? No, we probably, I mean, we'll, we'll juice probably, you know, three or four boxes in a sitting, and each one's 200, so about 800 limes. So we go probably be between six and 800 limes a day. Ooh, um, that's a lot of limes. one restaurant in one part of one city in America. Mm-hmm. There it is. Yes. There it is. They're, they're responsible for the lime shortage. <laughs> there it is. Seriously, <laughs> it's... But it is wild. I am too. I go through but a lot of limes at home, so I totally understand. 800? No, remember that one time I got too many from the restaurant depot and then we had to juice them all? So yes, actually, absolutely. One time it was 500. Really? Wow. Uh, but that was one time for four like million weeks I had to freeze it. Oh, wow. That's good. Did so, it keep pretty well? Not real. No. no. Ruby mentioned earlier, Danny, that you went to Virginia Tech. That was your crack research? Engineering. Engineering. in Blacksburg. Did you grow up in Virginia? Are you... I know no. you were born in Mexico, but born did you grow up in Mexico? So born and raised in Mexico. My mother's American. My dad is from Mexico. And my, so my mom is as white, blonde hair, blue eyed as they come. And my dad, as they say, has like a cactus tattooed on his head that is like as Mexican as they come. <laughs> so he was from a small town, like two hours south of Mexico City called Cuautla. Uh, my mom wanted to be like a UN interpreter. And so was learning Spanish and learned French. And then after college, she's like, I'm going to Mexico. And so she moved in with a family like northern part of Mexico in Tampico and then moved to Mexico City. And through a friend of a friend, like of expats or something, she met my dad. And so they got married, lived in Mexico for a while. They actually moved to New York. And then my grandmother passed away. And so they moved back to Mexico City. So I was born there and raised my whole life there. Um, when I was 16, my parents got divorced. And so my mom moved back to the U.S. And her father was like a traveling. So he lived in Miami and Dallas and ended up in uh, South Carolina. And so for whatever reason in my house, we always decided that my brother and I would go to college in the U.S. for a different experience. And, you know, there's good universities here, obviously. And so, uh, so when I graduated, when I was 18, I had applied to like Tulane, Virginia. I was good at math. Like I, I got good in geometry. I was like, yeah, I was like, that's when I realized that's what. But, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, you, you do one thing good. And so therefore you kind of say, OK, you should become an engineer. And I used to skateboard and I like snowboard. I like the idea of snowboarding. I'd never really seen snow before in my life. Um, and so I was either Tulane, Clemson, Virginia Tech, um, and University of Texas. And, uh, and I went for a tour, and Virginia Tech is beautiful. And they're like, there's mountains right here 40 minutes away. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. And so it was good engineering. It was kind of close to my mom, but far enough away. So I ended up in Blacksburg, Virginia from Mexico City. And it was, it was a big culture shock. The mountains were, those aren't mountains. They're not mountains. I <laughs> went to tech. They're hills. There's no mountains. There's yeah, no they're, mountains. Not even, they're not even, yeah. It's, that's the only, not, and that's not it's in the brochure only, right? No, it's yeah. like wet stuff just flinging itself at you. It's and, awful. And the mountains is just ice, sheets of ice. This is not snow. So, but I learned to snowboard. Uh, and it's great. So what were your first, I mean, obviously your first impression of Virginia was good because you went to school there. But after a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years... I mean, you're still here, so you must not have hated Virginia. No, I mean, the first six months was brutal. I mean, the first two weeks, I got a George Washington's revenge. So it was like... George Washington? I haven't heard that before. <laughs> it was like, it was, I mean, it was just a new bacteria. And I was like, whatever this, what's in this water is not uh, working for my digestion. But um, so it took a little while. And then like, 
in the dorms, and then like somehow or another, like a long lost cousin that they like was there at the school, and the, like somehow or another, like my grandmother and his great grandmother told us that we should reunite, and so he came to the room, and he was awkward, and it was like okay. But his friend from college, I mean from high school, was in my dorm. And so him and I, and he was the super, the friendliest guy and still one of my best friends. Um, and he's like, come hang out with us. And they, you know, they were drinking beers and like we found <laughs> quick things to like to bond. And uh, and it took me like probably six months to a year before I stopped wanting to like, I was like, OK, that's it. I'm going back to Mexico. I'm going to go to Tech de Monterrey. And then like, and my dad, he was like starting a little restaurant. Um, and so he's like, and I used to party a lot when I was in high school. And so he, he really didn't want me back. <laughs> he was like, nah, you stay, tough it out. And uh and then I had a lot of fun, you know, and I was like in the school radio station. I like love music and like there was a band playing. And I was like, you guys listen to this music, me too. And it was like, so you find common ground, you know, we're all. And so five years later. Um, the five-year plan. Five-year plan. Uh, Sometimes it happens. Hey. I got lucky to be in the four-year plan, but that was just barely. My dad actually pulled the, um, to, like just to see if I actually had a diploma. He was like, is it in there? Was it signed by the right people? <laughs> Absolutely not. He was afraid that I had parked too many times on the grass because, you know, you couldn't find parking at Tech ever. Yeah. And so I would just pull the jimmy up onto the grass, like in front of wherever the class was and get a parking ticket. Ay, ay, ay. Things haven't changed much in your life. No, they have not. I kind of do the same right thing now. The yeah, I'm the pretty, pretty pathetic, but yeah. So you said your dad started a restaurant in Mexico. Is that where the... Was it in Mexico that he started it? In Mexico, yeah. Okay. Is that where you uh, learned? When did you start cooking in the kitchen? I kind of started cooking in college. I mean, my dad had a little restaurant that he kind of inherited. Well, he he had the land, so he decided to build a restaurant. But he really wasn't into into that. And uh, that was never a part of my life. You know, like there was – it was much more after that I kind of started doing like dinner parties and making Mexican food at Virginia Tech – and so we make like sopas that we have here on the menu and things like that. And, you know, we drink a lot of wine and, you know, food was supposed to start at seven and we got probably ready at 10. So everyone was drunk and hungry. And so, every, and so it was a lot of fun. And I had a friend taught me kind of a, a chicken parmesan dish that I, I haven't made in a while, but that was like my, that was my, my go-to. Chicken parm was your go-to, <laughs> huh? Yeah, that was my go-to. For the authentic Mexican experience. Chicken parm. <laughs> Fiesta chicken parm. And then I was like talking to somebody, then I, I, I was really, so I, I, I studied engineering. I moved back to Mexico. I was there for like a year. I ended up back in North Carolina where I'd worked a little bit a couple summers. And then I moved to New York. And so I was working a little bit and I was like, I really don't like this that much. And I kind of was thinking about, in college, I already kind of played with the idea of going to culinary school. And then I read Kitchen Confidential. And uh, it's, Bourdain it's, did it for you. Bourdain did it for me. I mean, and so then uh, probably me and many others. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think you're the only, only one. one. <laughs> and so then in uh, and so then I decided I was like I'm done with this. And so while I was working, and I was working like at a diamond company in in uh, New York, I uh, went to culinary school in the evenings, and and it was like really the best time of my life. And then I I quit the diamond industry and engineering and started working in the kitchen. And that's kind of a, in New York was in your New first York, kitchen in New York. Okay. Yeah. So I was working at the the Modern, which is a, uh, you know, it's inside the Museum of Modern Art, mm-hmm. which is like a Danny Meyer restaurant, and it was a good place to learn. And now, did you stay at the Modern for a while, or did you branch out? So I stayed for about a year, and then, um, and then I wanted to, I wanted to go learn how to make bread. I was like really into that, and I was like, this would be a really cool thing to learn. And I was kind of doing that, and then my roommate at the time, which became my partner in my restaurant, he was working, so he was like going to be a screenwriter. Like many people in New York that wanted to be in that in different uh, in different scenes of the arts, and so uh, 
he was always working like at cafes and he worked like as a barista and he worked a little bit as a bartender. And so he worked at this cafe that was really close to our house in Dumbo and um, told the owner that like he, sh- he should open up as a bar. She's like, I have the full liquor license, but like no one ever comes and it's like big open windows. So it's like no, no one's in it. It's like this catch 22 that no one will go in if it's empty and therefore it's always empty. So, uh, so he came to me and he's like, well, why don't we do some food? And, uh, and at the time with another friend, we've been talking about doing like a taco truck, but like a really, which pre this time, these things didn't exist, but like a really cool one with like, you know, really decked out and like quality tortillas. And I was going to make all of our tortillas and I was going to make taco al pastor, which is like on the spit and, and do things kind of right. And, uh, and then I realized that the way the laws were and everything, I was like, I'm just going to live the rest of my life on a truck. That, <laughs> I, like, I, I didn't go to culinary school and do that. So anyway, so we started this kind of like pop-up which at the time didn't even exist, the term pop-up. So it was a reoccurring culinary event. Um, so I would call, there's a nice ring to that. <laughs> yeah. so that's right. I don't know why it didn't Sounds like time. a disease. <laughs> I have a reoccurring culinary, culinary event, event happening over here. I'm going to need you to check this out. See a doctor, please. That's <laughs> uh, fine. And so, um, so we, I cooked all the food at home, and then we like truck it over in a, like a big old LLB band and like drop it off, and then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday we would... Uh, a big old like, LL bean bag? Did you just did. say that? The amount of beans that were spilled in that bag. Right? So, <laughs> <laughs> it quickly ended up in the trash can. But it was like, I'd be cooking carnitos in our house. And we were like living in this like cool kind of New York loft. And uh, it was like an old paper recycling plant on the bottom. And so... It sounds I, so romantic. I mean, seriously, and I'm not being sarcastic. It sounds like you were living the dream in a way. Totally. It yeah. was really a great moment. Like all this, like, you know, and every adventure in life is, is fun. And, but we were there and it was like we had a, like the roof had no insulation or anything so if anybody walked above like dirt would kind of come down and so we were there for about a year and a half so the like the, the shower was the smallest little shower the smallest little water heater and she had three minutes of hot water <laughs> so, you know, like you go in it's like in and, out. in and out and that was it and then you had to wait like 10 minutes for the next person fill up the stupid little boiler and then do it again so but it was it was a great time we had a lot of fun and like and, and it was and it was interesting because etro and dumbo as it was happening we had this friend um from spain and she was like living with us and uh and she was always into like this romantic idea of like Ernest Hemingway and all these artists and beatniks and everyone hanging out cafes. And, uh, and at that time, like all these like cool little artists and well, then, you know, none of them are famous. One, I think our waiter will become famous because he was, uh, he's gone to like grad school and really, really cool art. But it was a cool little scene and there was all these like musicians coming and we had like live music and it was like as cool as a scene could ever be. Um, it was kind of happening at that time in a restaurant and like, you know, a couple of times I like finish up with service and you know watch everybody drinking and dancing and I was like oh, we built something kind of cool and so it was, a, it was a great great time in our life that ran its course but it was good and then where did the book come in so the book came in 10 years later I don't know if you know this but he wrote a book I saw it on the bar over there 10 years later not more so I mean this this restaurant was in 2008 and it was like a pop-up recurrent culinary event ouch <laughs> RCE <laughs> and uh we did that for like three years and it was like we were renting like renting the space in the evening and there was an AM team and like so we had to like they had to clear all their stuff out and then we'd come in and put all of our stuff in and there's all this animosity and like we got a really nice write up in like New York Magazine and that's kind of how the, the restaurant really came to be. Um, so then it became seven days a week and it was still kind of a pop up but it was like so their day was like a cafe with like Italian paninis. <laughs> and then we would make our Mexican food at night. Did um, the chicken parm show up? Because I feel parm- like <laughs> I feel like that's a perfect segue. That been, I, I should have done that one, like during happy hour to segue people into just add a little chipotle to it. So, um, but then we and then we moved our restaurant and we opened one in uh, Manhattan, and so Bowery and Fourth Street. And so we kept the name Metro and Dumbo is kind of like where we were made, and uh, and did that for about nine years. Um, and then the lease kind of 
you know, ran, ran out its and, course. And it ran Nine out. years. Nine years. Wow. Yeah. It was, it's a good run. It was a good run. It was a good run. And then, uh, and halfway, like probably about year seven, um, I was interested in doing a cookbook, um, you know, for, for my own sake of just doing something cool and something that I didn't see. And, you know, one of the things that we were doing and what I kind of my perspective on on food and Mexican food is is from Mexico City. And as I've met more and more people from the United States, um, well, from Mexico in the United States, from different parts, you know, all my friends and everybody from Mexico City were like, this is how we do it. And we don't even think about it because this is how we do it. And then uh, people from the north are like, well, in Mexico. So I always like to say, well, in Mexico, we like to do this. In Mexico, we like to do that. And, and he was like, oh, momento. It's like, well, in the north, we like flour tortillas. Or I don't know if everyone really thinks, you know what I mean? And so it kind of opened up a little more perspective of, of what Mexico is as a country and like, you know, my bubble that I lived in that, you know, everyone lives in, especially in a city of that size, that, uh, that I wanted to kind of showcase Mexico City and the love that I have and kind of like talk about, you know, the influences from our restaurant or from my, my, my restaurant and my food that at the end of the day, you know, and I was telling the guys in the kitchen, like as you forge your path of being a chef and kind of leading a kitchen, you're going to grab ideas. So we have a salad on here that I put on Echo and Dumbo that was based off of a salad that, you know, I liked a lot when I was working at the Modern, you know, and I put my cheeses in there and I kind of your touch. Um, but these things that kind of guide you in life. And so Mexico City food is is not only – um, an important part to me it's such a cool scene and it just keeps getting better and better and like chefs kind of in the past like really 10 years have started to experiment and play a little more with mexican food and so we're seeing you know really cool ideas and things happening that it was kind of stagnant for a little while just because the amount of like tex-mex influence that was existed out that they were like i went to like this conference and it was like spain and mexico um and it's called madrid fusion but there was one in mexico and it was just spanish chefs mexican chefs and this was like the height of like uh, El Bulli and all that where they were talking about like molecular gastronomy. And so sure. everything that they were doing, it was like pan con tomate, without pan, without tomate. But somehow <laughs> no, there, there was that. Somehow with bread and tomatoes, but we don't know. Yeah. And then the Mexicans were all coming and it was like these olés. And like, if you don't know how to nixtamalize corn, you don't know how to cook. You know, and it was really like kind of like going back to the basics and saying like, this is what you have to understand. Um, and since then, UNESCO gave like the world heritage to the food from Michoacan, the corn, the bean, and the chili. You know, Enrique Olvera from his restaurant kind of exploded Mexico City. Sure. Um, and so now it's okay to play with your food. Now, you know what I mean? And not, not like a little kid, but like play with ingredients and, and really uh, move things around a little bit. So around. it feels for, yeah, sure. Yeah. And just by making something different and, and playing with ingredients doesn't mean that you're. You know, for lack of a word, kind of bastardizing the food itself. Sure. It's just like, you know, we have cochinita pibil, but instead if you use like an octopus or you use it with tuna, like stole the same essence and should give you, you know, equal or, you know, similar give you satisfaction. Give of it. Yeah, sure. But, but it can be fun. So, um, so anyway, the whole point of it is this cookbook was about kind of showcasing Mexico City. So it originally started as really like a travel guide of Mexico City. And it was like one restaurant, one recipe, one restaurant, one recipe. Um, we got lucky that we uh, that the publisher, Rizzoli, which does really beautiful books, was interested in the book. But they were much more went to focus on um, the cooking. And so instead of having, you know, 40 or 50 recipes in 40 or 50 restaurants, it was 120 recipes and like 40 restaurants, but just kind of in there um but it was a really cool so and really like because it was on paper and this was published about two years ago um and we the way it works which it took years and years of getting a you know an agent and then getting the right writer and then like i lost the writer and i got a new writer and i got a new photographer and all these sort of things that and then by the time you turn in everything then it's a year for them to turn it back before it gets before anything easy. happens sure and so like so we put a lot of stuff and i was like what's happening now and everything is so sporadic that like i think only one restaurant that we put in the book is closed since 
the book has been on. So it's, it's nice that like it's That's, still sure it's still accurate. You know, what I mean, it I was still holds. It's <laughs> yes. And there's a lot of good recipes, so oh, so that's cool. kind of the uh, the inspiration of that book. So we're all, we've been in big city, big city, big city, Blacksburg, not a big city if anybody's familiar. And then Susan and John reach out to you because they're like, "We're going to open a Mexican restaurant." How did that conversation go? Obviously, Lauren was part of it. She was like, "I've got some drinks. I need some help with." I guess it went well because he's here. I know, but I, I mean, I was, just I was you know a little. In the back. I wasn't, I, I didn't know. I mean, I knew that they wanted to open up a Mexican restaurant. Um, I heard about Danny, um, but I wasn't, you know. Were you like, Richmond? Where the heck is that? It's, it's so weird. So I was living in New York. My wife, now we've been married for almost 10 years. She's from Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where my partner was. And that's how I met him and, or how I met her through him. That was married to one of my friends from high school. So it's this kind of like circle and uh, we've been living in New York. We have two kids, and we don't have any family there. And it kind of started running its course as well and saying, like, what, um, what do you want to do? And so we've always talked about leaving. But I was like, New York is one of the best cities in the world, in my opinion. And, uh, and it's like, if I go anywhere just for the sake of leaving New York because I'm fed up with so much stuff from there, but, like, everything I go to is going to, like, pale in comparison. And I'm not gonna, we're not going to be really fulfilled. And my wife wanted to go somewhere south that was warm. I wanted somewhere north that was cool. You know, and I wanted to, we both wanted kind of a big city and whatever reason, I had some friends from college there in Richmond and there's this beautiful, you know, the history in this town and there's mountains you can ski. There's mountains you can ski, which I went skiing this, this season once. <laughs> little mountains, <laughs> little very mountains. little mountains. Churchill. Yeah. That's a big mountain to ski. <laughs> little hill. And so, um, but it was, we, you know, we love old, you know, the aesthetic of like old buildings and like, you know, and so like the fan is beautiful. Churchill is beautiful. Like there's, you know, the city is, is really got some. It's much prettier than much more like modern, newer cities in this country. Sure. You know, the way I think there's less, and, and just in general, I think the world cares less about architecture now and more about efficiency. So, so how long have you been in town? So we've been in town for eight months. And so they reached out to me like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now. Um, and they're like, you know, we wanted to do this kind of Mexican restaurant. And we saw your uh, cookbook that we really loved the, the aesthetic and the pages. And we saw you went to Virginia Tech. And so, like, would you be interested in helping us out? And I was like, at the time, I was like, perfect. Like, you know, if we want to, we can, you know, I can put some recipes together. And so I did that. And then they're like, okay, come down. We'd love for you to cook for them. And, and then we started, like, tasting the food and eating. And they're like, you know what? We really want an executive chef and feel like you could be the right fit. Um, and so I was like, yeah, you know, like my wife's a teacher, so I get like insurance from them. I have a mezcal company, so it's like I can give you like the first like six, nine months of my life 100% there. But then there has to be some sort of give and take that I can't be there all the time because I have this other business that I love doing. And so uh, and they're like, okay, we can do that and we can get you insurance. And I was like, you know, and obviously I need to get like my wife's going to quit her job, so I need to get paid X amount. And so they were like, yeah, I think we can do everything. That and so then also I went back to my wife. I was like, everything we kind of asked for, they've agreed to. And I was like, if we ever going to leave, uh, you know, New York, like this would be the time. And we're like, oh shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I guess there's no way we can say no. <laughs> it's like it's kind of like it's, if the times ever, and like our, my kids are still like they're seven and five, so they're still young, and you know they're very resilient. So like, easy move in that sense. And so, and a lot of our friends from New York had actually moved to uh, outside of New York. So like one of our best friends, that's Monica and Ethan, my partner, and like his wife. And they were like, no, don't leave us. And they're like crying. And I was like, you've already left. They bought a house like two hours north of New York City, but like still within that area. So it feels like. drive. Yep. Yeah. But we never really even saw them that much. And a lot of our friends kind of had left New York. Like New York, you know, I was there for 17 years. 
but at the time, like, you know, the amount of, like, it's a revolving door of, of youth that kind of comes in, you go through it, it either eats you up and spits you out, or you just get bored with it and you kind of move on. And there's very few people that really, you know, for one thing or another, we, we actually kind of stayed, but it started kind of, so we're here. <laughs> do you live around here or did you, did you move to like something that looks sort of similar to New York, which is nothing in Richmond, but you understand where I'm going. Yeah. Well, I mean, we live in the fan. Yeah. So it was kind of, I mean, there was uh, like, we, I wanted something. I want your of, exact address in case I have to come pick up tortillas. <laughs> this is the place. There's nothing there. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, we wanted, I wanted a school that had like a dual language program, which apparently there was one school left, uh, public <laughs> school, which is the Fox rest in peace. Um, and then, uh, and it was like two years only. And, it's really not a like dual language, but at the time I thought so. He's like, okay, we're going to be in this zone, and then I, you know, we love the aesthetic of, of the fan and kind of stole all these row houses and neighbors and like it was like a, a small version, I guess, of Brooklyn, and so uh, so we're there. So it's nice. It's my favorite part of Richmond. So um, I, I I love the fan. When did you show up in town, Lauren? Oh, I've uh, I've been in Richmond my entire life. All I right. grew up in Chesterfield. Um, had a brief stint at VCU, uh, moved down to the fan, you know, when I was 17, almost 18, uh, kind of bounced around different parts of, of Richmond, Churchill, Museum District, uh, Northside. Um, I'm in the fan now. Um, so I've, I've been here. What were your haunts then when you were uh – an inexperienced drinker in, in the city. Where did you Where did you oh, like to go? Sticky rice. Oh my goodness! Have, everybody has a John Yamashita story, don't they? Just yes, yes. And the gong, man. Yeah. Karaoke now. nights or Tuesdays? No? Karaoke nights, any night. I mean, <laughs> any I night that ends in a Y. Three, four nights a week. Taking beers uh, from tea like sidewalk. Um, you know, and in, in my mid to early 20s right that was that was my spot it's, um, it's like the only place in the fan that serves food till two everybody yeah, wins right tots and you know and then sidewalks right down the street with so you start one mediocre place, wings yep yeah you know that was uh yeah many a nights there yet to go sure. there is that the one on main street the sidewalk or the sticky rice both both. But what, sticky rice is one on Main. No? Yes. What, what would you go there for? <laughs> I don't even know what it is. <laughs> One's a sushi restaurant called Sticky Rice, so you go with that. And the other one is a bar. <laughs> Dive bar. I'll go to Sidewalk. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that you should go to both just because they're like just institutions. For an yes. Yeah. We reference this off the top, but we are on Patterson Avenue near Libby, near the old West Hampton School space. Um, in a new, in what used to be nature, as what used to say. be nature, yes. and is now a new building. I mean, we're in a upscale part of town. I would say, yes. is the, oh really? Would you? I would say, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> has has the clientele been neighbors? Have people been traveling from all over the region to to dine? I know you guys just opened a, a few couple months ago, so yeah. I mean, it's been all over the place. I yeah. mean, I, I mean, friends that I know and like random people from from the fan. So I, I think um, people from Chesterfield that we've met and. Somebody came in on a, it was from Norfolk, and they came because, I think it's like, well, what, a magician, the local magician. The, Jonathan. Came, Jonathan, and so he does a, a rabbit wow. in a hat. So, <laughs> You're you know, welcome. Like, okay, 
And so he uh, he came in. But we've had all over, but of course, a lot of people that were... You said you he, know, he, does, he has a did rabbit? Did he pull a rabbit said? out of a hat? No, but that's, that's why thing. he came here? He came I know, but I was like, did he bring it in the no. restaurant? That's I think every weird. magician has a rabbit. Isn't that sort of like a thing? Is it always? I, I mean... I think so. Maybe. And a hat? I don't know. I know that Jonathan has one, and he also has a unicycle, if that's helpful. I've seen that act before. But I heard because of the name of the restaurant he came in. But we see a lot of like, you know, on Fridays after... After How does that happen? Does he come up to you and be like, "I'm the magician and I have a rabbit"? You know, they came. The, like all of a sudden, our manager is like, gave me his card and like, you know, <laughs> the magician's you know, here. A local celebrity is here right now, and they tell me. That. And you were like, like, "Is he now?" No, Jonathan's great. <laughs> I've, I've heard good things, and so, um, but you know, we'll have a bunch of ladies coming in with like you know tennis attire. So they've been obviously at the country club uh, playing some tennis. So we, I think we get a mix. I think right now because also we're new and. You know, Richmond's a smaller town that the kind of word gets out in between us and like, you know, here on Grove and, and, uh, and Libby is... Uh, Cocodrillo. Exactly. Yes. And so they're kind of like, they added to it and some people were like, I went to the other Mexican, this Mexican. So I think both, and it was funny because this was the old spot that they used to own. The guys from Taza had Cafe sure. Cultura. And so, and they're friends with them. And so as they found out about, like we had our concept and then they found out about their concept and then it was like... And then they were supposed to open like in October and we were supposed to open in October and then they got pushed and then we got pushed. It was like, it was very interesting how kind of was happening simultaneously. And they're like, I think they're going to open like a week before us. <laughs> jerks. <laughs> yeah. They're not jerks. But you're on this podcast first. So there you go. <laughs> there we go. They're good guys. All yeah. of those guys are good guys. They're yes. great guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was just, you know, coincidence. But do you see a lot of the, are there tenants here yet? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, do you see any of them? We do. Yeah. We have, um, Regular bar regulars, yes. <laughs> We've been invited like to the pool. <laughs> oh, that's a there's the move right there. Hey guys, I'm gonna sit at your bar, but also come to our You're pool. <laughs> I'll come, I'll bring you a couple margaritas and then uh stay for a little to while. To go little cups. Yeah. I love it. It's perfect. So what's the next step? An additional restaurant? Will you stay here for a little while? Or are you gonna leave us after 17 years? Um you know, for the time being, I'm, I'm we're happy here. Um, I was you know, talking to my wife, so my kids are on the younger age, and so the way the school season like cuts off, that I think in like three years I would love to do, and a friend of mine is just doing that, she was living in the UK, and she's taking a year off and to move to Mexico, so I would love to do like a year uh, kind of sabbatical in, uh, in Mexico, but, uh, sounds but right now, I mean, that's, that's the, the three-year dream, which, you know, you know anytime with the, the saying, if the, anytime that you make a plan... For God to laugh at you or something, you know, you know what I'm saying. Because I do. Four hundred rabbits involved. Rabbits. They're drinking heavily. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of mezcal. But anyway, so four hundred drunken rabbits. As of right now, we're happy here. Things are going well. There's still a lot of work to be done here for what we want to do in terms of food and you know getting everyone trained and making it a good place to like work and everything. So, um, so for the time being, we're staying put and you know, hanging out. Hanging out. Well, you're listening to Eat It Virginia with Scott Wise, Roby Martin, Dana Mina, and Lauren Spain at Conejo. This episode of Eat It Virginia. Eat It Virginia? <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> no! Oh, God, no.